Hello. Hi. How are you doing? How are you doing? <laughs> um, awesome. Uh, yeah. Jinx, I guess. You're listening to Just One of Them, Their Guys, a podcast that's got a long way to go and a short time to get there. He's pounding down, loaded up and trucking. Are we going to do what they say can't be done? We've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. Hello and welcome to the very first episode of Just One of Them, Their Guys, a US One podcast. This is an internet radio show bringing you coverage of the Al Milgram Opus, US One. Yep, you heard me right. We're doing it. Uh, today we're going to be covering two comics, uh, US One, number one, obviously, and US One, number two. And to take me through this epic journey and make sure that I don't start drinking heavily is my good friend, Mr. Jay Ferguson. How's it going, Jay? All right. Are you ready for this? Oh, oh, am I? Are you ready for the awesomeness that is a story about a trucker with a plate metal skull that can receive CB signals through it? Uh, yes, yes, I am. Then, then you, sir, are, are far more prepared than I am. Well, obviously, we're going to be tackling, uh, like I said, issues one and two of this, and uh, I really don't have any preamble for this. I mean, this is uh, this is something completely new for me and completely out there, so hopefully this will all be really entertaining for you folks. I hope you all enjoy it. But uh, before we uh, get to the epicness that is issue number one, uh, I'm going to uh, plug a couple of uh, promos in here for podcasts I love and hopefully podcasts that you all listen to. And when we come back, we'll start on our coverage of US One. Hooray! So now this is the commercial break where we, we uh, talk about things that we're not allowed to talk about on air. Sure. Is that how it goes? Why not? <laughs> So you got to dodge him, you got to duck him, you gotta keep that diesel trucking. Just put that hammer down and give it hell. He's pounded down, loaded up and trucking. Are we gonna do what they say can't be done? We've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. I'm he's pounded up, watch your bandit run. He was a hero to some, a villain to others, and wherever he rode, people spoke his name in whispers. He had no friends, this Jonah Hex, but he did have two companions. One was death itself, the other, the acrid smell of gun smoke. Death 
and the acrid smell of gun smoke. The Jonah Hex Podcast. Available Thursdays at two true freaks. Guy Gardner podcast. I got a fast connection so I don't have to wait. For Guy Gardner podcasts. There's always some new site. For Guy Gardner podcasts. I browse all day and night. For Guy Gardner podcasts. It's like I'm surfing at the speed of light. For Guy Gardner podcasts. The internet is for Guy Gardner podcasts. The internet is for and sometimes Kyle Rayner podcasts. Why you think the net was born? Guy Gardner Podcasts. Just One of the Guys is a weekly internet radio show dedicated to bringing you reviews, commentary, and a heartfelt defense of the characters of Guy Gardner and Kyle Rayner, the two Earth-based Green Lanterns who always seem to get dumped on. Over the next several years, I will be covering the Green Lantern books from cover date June 1990 until cover date November 2004. I'll also be covering the Guy Gardner solo series, as well as any other media that catches my fancy. The show can be found on iTunes by searching for Just One of the Guys podcast, or by going to the website justoneofthegues.lips.com. So be sure to tune in every Friday for a fun-filled look at the Green Lantern Corps, hosted by me, Sean Ingle. It's just as enjoyable as the search for the subject that this song is actually about. Just One of the Guys does not officially certify that this podcast is more enjoyable than pornography. And we're back. And since we don't have any email or anything to cover prior to this, we're going to jump right in to our coverage of US 1 number 1. Uh, it was cover dated May of 1983, with a release date of February 1st, 1983, and a cover price of 60 cents. Wow, 60 whole cents. That was that was a time. Now 60 cents, what's that? That's like a third or a fifth of a comic now? Oh, wow. I'm going to try and do the math. It's not, I can't. Yeah, three, yes. I used to be good at math, I think, once, but yeah. I, I I forgot it. I Three think. bucks a comic, yeah, that's that's a fifth of the book. So yeah, the yeah. first yeah. the first four pages of a book essentially is what you'd be getting in today's comics. The title, of course, was US One Coming at You. There you go. Uh, the writer was Al Milgram, the artist was Herb Trimpey, uh, letterer Mike Higgins, colorist Christine Scheel, editor Ralph Macchio, not the Karate Kid one, and Big Smokey hmm, was Jim Shooter. The story opens on a long and lonesome stretch of highway. That doesn't stay that way for very long, as the hero of our story, Ulysses Solomon Archer, get it, USA, comes barreling down said highway in his big rig. He passes the short stop, a truck stop, and waves at the narrator of the story, Ed Wheeler, better known as Papa Wheelie. Papa gives the backstory of our protagonist, who, even since he was a child, had a hankering for 18 wheelers. He came from a family of truckers, with both of his parents living the high life behind the wheel, and his brother, Jefferson Hercules Archer, wanting to carry on in his parents' profession. But Ulysses' parents wanted more from him 
as they made sure that he got a good education before he decided to take on the awesome task of long-haul trucking. But fate played a cruel trick on the Archer boys, as his parents died in a wreck while driving the semi. Time passed, and Jefferson carried on the legacy of his parents while Ulysses attended college. But even book learning and college football couldn't take away Ulysses' desire to drive the big rigs. One fateful night, the Archer brothers were team-driving through a torrential downpour, arguing about why Ulysses should do more with his education than just drive trucks. Ulysses counters, saying that Jefferson is really smart as well, and that a college diploma isn't a sure sign of intelligence. Jeff comments that his brother was always hard-headed, that'll make an ironic point later, at the same time a mysterious black rig pulls alongside them pushing them into the garden mill. Jeff tries to push back, but with no avail, and as the truck is flung off the side of the cliff, U.S. was thrown free of the crash. But his brother wasn't so lucky. And as the battered and bruised archer brother mourns, he sees the shadowy figure of the highwayman standing at the top of the embankment, maniacally laughing. The highwayman's minions come down to the crash rig and blow it up real good, causing U.S. to pass out. Some time has passed, and U.S. is waking up in a hospital with Papa Wheelie and Wide Load Annie at his bedside. To save his life, the doctors put an experimental metal plate covering his entire skull, which conveniently allows his feather blonde hair to grow back in over it. Recovering, U.S. tries to convince people about what happened, but to no avail. After he recovers, U.S. also finds out that if he touches his tongue to the fillings in his mouth, his experimental plate allows him to pick up CB signals. Practically a superhero now, U.S. uses his college education to build himself a high-tech heating healer, the likes of which would make James Bond jealous. He even equips the rig to be able to be driven by remote control, which is cleverly hidden in one of those swanky new Susan B. Anthony dollar coins. And with the series set up out of the way, it's on to the invariable long haul down the same lonesome rainy highway that took the life of his brother at the beginning of this book. U.S. is set upon by the same black rig that tries to ram him off the road as well, but some fancy driving saves him from his brother's fate. But the highwayman isn't finished yet, as he pushes U.S. onto the road where the bridge is out. Jamming like Keanu Reeves ten years early, U.S. nitro-bruces the rig and jumps the open gap and the bridge was out. But his trials aren't over yet, as for some reason, Papa Wheelie is standing in the middle of the freaking road. <laughs> right in front of the oncoming trucks. U.S. slams his cab into the highwayman, highwayman's rig, forcing them off the cliff, and saving the complete idiot Wheelie. Crisis averted, U.S. and Papa wonder what's happened to the mysterious black rig, and what kind of Nero hero needs a cape and tights when all you need is a truck. That is the epicness that is US one number one. Jay, take us away with some some entertaining notes that you might have for this issue. Okay. All right. I don't know. I think the the first thing that really does actually I really like about this issue is, is the cover. It's a it's Al Mogum cover and it's kind of got it's it has a really nice composition, the way on a way everything flows through it, and it's it's kind of like a a retelling of the origin almost. It's got like the in the it's got like the uh lightning storm and the mm-hmm. the highwayman with his cape billowing out and the 
U.S. with this metal skull and the car. I mean, the car, the truck crashing, and then and then in the front of it is is U.S. Archer with you know hands on his uh, hips, just going ah, very very heroic pose. It, it is a very heroic pose, but he's he's doing a bit of. Uh... A bit too much pelvic thrusting for my liking. I do like the fact yeah, that he's got, yeah. he's got the stereotypical uh, big old belt buckle that has his uh, initials on it. That's that's always cool. I like that. Mm-hmm. I love the corner box, which is just a picture of him winking and giving a thumbs up. Oh, which that's, is... if that's not stereotypical 1980s, uh, I don't know what is. The guy is, just giving yeah. a wink and the thumbs up. I mean, it it's it's so Arthur Fonzarelli almost. But I love that, yeah. I also love the the uh, the cover copy on the bottom. High adventure trucking down the highway. That's th- this this cover screams more epicness than the book can actually deliver. It almost makes it there, but this cover is just really out there. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I gotta. But yeah, ooh, I don't like Papa Wheelie. I gotta I gotta say that he is really. I mean. Like the hugest redneck stereotype. It's 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 kind of annoying. And Papa Wheelie, I mean, come on, that is a really really dumb name. Well, and that's that's the other thing. In this, they also take. I know they're trying to be stereotypical, and they're also trying to be respectful. But mm-hmm. yeah, the whole idea of Papa Wheelie, this overall wearing cigar chomping, you know, nearly morbidly obese trucker isn't a positive stereotype. I mean, it's, it's really negative. And, and the fact that you find out later in the issues that he's kind of a coward himself, just mm-hmm. makes him even more unlikable of a character. Yeah. And then, and then what he does at the end of this issue, I mean, just, Oh, I mean, that is just stupid. Like why, why, why did he do that? I don't know. It's like, well, I mean, and also, where did he come from? Uh, it didn't even look like this bridge was anywhere near where Papa Wheelie would have been. And why was he out in the middle of a rainstorm uh, in front of a, a bridge that should have been closed down by, like, the highway department? I mean, unless Papa Wheelie is a part of the highway department, which I guess then says horrible things about what the government of whatever city, state that he's living in. Mm-hmm. I think I mean, like, on the on the last page, it does. Um, he does like explain. He says like, you know, when when the when the storm started, I got worried about you, and I started up the road. I never expected to find him too, and <laughs> to think I ever doubted you. And it's, it's just, which which is really a kind of a flimsy explanation. It's like, I mean, even if he is like petrified that us is going to just be horribly killed in the storm like his brother was then what does he actually think he can do i mean how 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 in any way is he going to be helpful <laughs> yeah how is bizarre he gonna, how is it going to be helpful by standing out in the middle of the road that, yeah. that doesn't make any sense that yeah that i didn't even think about that yeah like that well, that is probably the most useless and um yeah, and then just and it's just this over the narration going through it, where he's talking about how um, you don't need capes and tights to be a hero, and which you know I understand. I think uh, the story itself kind of makes that point. Like, I mean, I think U.S.'s actions at the end of this issue are fairly heroic. He saves Papa Wheelie, even though the 
and he defeat and he defeats the bad guy. But is he really? The, and 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 so in that way, I can say, yeah, sure. But I mean, all these like examples of you think he's like he's like, yeah, some people thought I was a hero. I used to I used to be a drag racer. I'm like being a drag racer just you a hero no matter what anybody says yeah. it's just it's no just it's it's kind of i guess it's also playing on the whole i hate to say it the nascar stereotype where mm-hmm. those mm-hmm. people are raised to level of heroism or of uh, fine athletes when yes what they're doing is difficult yes what they're doing is technically complex but essentially they're just driving a souped up car really fast around an oval track i mean left turn yeah uh, left turn so yeah the the premise is kind of difficult to make these characters uh along the lines of the marvel superheroes like iron man and thor and spider-man and all that but i see what they're trying to do and it's it's admirable that they're trying to do it and Mm -hmm. uh, u.s is actually somewhat that way but yeah papa Mm -hmm. wheelie he's He's pretty much just Mr. NASCAR. Yeah, and, and you, you can. Uh, I mean, because I think I think you're right. Actually, in a, in a lot of ways, he is sort of the the prototypical uh, Marvel hero. Like in in the way, because he's I mean, he's sort of like I don't know, like the the, the redneck Iron Man. Sort of like he mm-hmm. instead of instead of building like this suit of armor that is only useful for fighting crime he like uses the stuff that he has and he makes like a super awesome robot truck that is really cool and Mm -hmm. and that's and you know and he you know he's an orphan and and i as we'll find out later you've got the kind of love triangle thing going and the yeah well yeah and also the way he's drawn in here with uh herb trimpey's art it's also very much in the marvel style i'm looking at uh these pages aren't numbered, but it's the mm-hmm. the page after you know his parents die in the bottom uh, left hand panel. Uh, he looks very much like uh, a young Johnny Storm from the Fantastic Four down here. So, U.S. has that uh, sort of heroic look that you'd get in the Marvel characters, and uh, Papa Wheelie is just a complete. Up- and actually, looking above that, uh, I guess that's his brother Jefferson Hercules mm-hmm. Archer, which. Could they not have more manly names? I mean, Solomon, you know, Ulysses Solomon and Jefferson Hercules. I mean, that's that's amazing. But oh, his, so yeah, they got it. They have a they have a, a naming convention that is name all their kids' uh, president name and uh, uh, <laughs> and a name of somebody from a- ancient mythology. That that, sounds, that works. It, uh, and and yes, um, I don't mean Thomas Jefferson. I mean Jefferson Davis, of course. Yes. Oh, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, looking up here on this panel, it looks like, uh, you know, uh, his brother has a sort of Harry Osborn look as well. So, you know, the art art style for the main characters, aside from Papa Wheelie, is good. I really do. I mean, he's he's, the composition, I think, is is really nice. I mean, like, there's a lot of, I don't know, all these pages where the stuff just kind of, it it flows together really nicely. And there's, there's things, I mean, like, I don't, I don't think maybe that Herb Trimpey is the best uh, inker for himself because he mm-hmm. inks himself in this, and and I think in the in the second issue he looks it looks a lot better because he's there's there's other people inking him, and I I mean not like it's awful and disgusting, but like it's just I think the one looks better than the other. Yeah, there's a lot of panels where the ink is pretty thick, thick thickly laid on, and the characters don't look as defined. Uh, 
I'm looking at the page where he actually sees the uh, highwayman for the first time, and that mm-hmm. middle panel of uh, Jefferson there is just really thick ink in there. It's not it's not the best artwork, but uh, overall the artwork throughout the book is is pretty good for you know it's and it's pretty like I said it's also pretty standard for the Marvel books of this time. Oh yeah, yeah. Now there's something there's something interesting that that uh, I'm looking at. So there there's there's the the scene where he's getting his uh, he's 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 just gotten out of surgery with a metal plate in his head, mm-hmm. and he has a so he has the red bandana around his around his head that um, I don't think has he had that before? no and he and he no. didn't he never had it before then and so like my wondering is is so. Did they just tie a bandana around his head while while he healed from the surgery, or is this just like he's wearing the bloodstained bandage from his surgery <laughs> the whole time? Like that's always what he's, and, and he just keeps it around this it's, like disgusting, <laughs> blood drenched, and, and it's, it's got to be really rank after after all the time. That it's it takes a memento it. of the surgery. It it reminds him of you know. His his task to carry on his mission to to find who uh, killed his brother. It's it, it's like his oh I'm trying to think it's the albatross that he carries around. It's try, I'm trying to think of some sort of parallel to something uh, I can't right off the top of my head. But yeah the the whole uh, dynamic metal plate that encases his entire head. I'm certain that'll be used in you know subsequent issues to. To various effects, but the fact that it allows him to pick up CB signals via that and the fillings in his head mm-hmm. is just, it's so over the top ridiculous, but yet not in the way that's, but in a way that's fun, in a way that's mm-hmm. enjoyable, in a way that's kind of silly and that, you know, if you step back from it and look at it, it's like, oh, that's really stupid, but it's played for it's played seriously enough that you can actually enjoy the fact that they're having fun with it. I I think for some reason they're not trying to be incredibly serious in in this book. And I think if they did try, it would, it wouldn't work as well in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, cause I don't know if you know this, it's, they talk about it in the, uh, the text, excuse me, the, the text, the, uh, at the end of the issue by written by Al Milgram and it's that apparently I, I didn't know this since I've never, I've never seen them before, but uh, that it's based on like a Tyco line of electric trucks or something. So, I mean, it's kind of one of those. No, I vaguely, I vaguely remember that. And I, I, I was going to comment about that at the, you know, the whole thing about Jim Shooter uh, pulling Al Milgram into there and, uh, you know, saying, Hey Al, we've got an idea for this, uh, comic book where we want to take this toy line and uh, promote it and make something big out of it. Hmm. I wonder if Marvel's ever done anything about that, taking a toy line and doing a comic book to promote it. Hmm. Secret Wars. Oh yeah, they did that. Okay. Yeah. And well, and, and GI Joe and, uh, I don't know. They're talking about uh, Chris star, uh, Rom, <laughs> there are all, all sorts of things that they did. And, I don't know about Chris. I haven't heard about Chris, Chris star. I think I've heard some people say that it's really awful, but like, I mean, Rom is good. Oh, this yeah. is, I mean, GI Joe is incredible, especially mm. for the, uh, the early stuff. And, 
and uh this is well it is what it is and i mean i i really like it it's not maybe the best that that comics have ever been but it's it's a lot i mean it's fun and i think that's kind of what's trying to go for to like keep keep with that feel i think it's i think it's only fault is that it probably came a few years too late for the whole zeitgeist of the whole trucking generation i mean Mm -hmm. Convoy and Smokey and the Bandit and movies like that all came out in the late 70s. And that's when the, you know, that, that's when BJ and the Bear and the Dukes of Hazard were in uh, heavy rotation on TV. So this came out in a time when that sort of phase was sort of winding down. And I think that's probably why it's not looked on as well. Uh, in the annals of comic bookdom as other, you know, comics, let's say G.I. Joe or Transformers or ROM were. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, and I think there's a, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff that does that. I mean, especially, I mean, maybe not so much today, but especially back then where comics were, you know, a way behind the curve, like, especially with, uh, another, uh, sort of media tie in thing that actually I kind of like. And I'm sort of, I don't know, I guess I'm not embarrassed to admit it, but I, I really liked uh, a Dazzler. But like, that's, that is something that is, I mean, certainly it's a, an acquired taste and it's weird, but um, it, it is one of those things where, um, I mean, like that came out like in 83, I think, or it was about the same time as this, I guess. But, but, but I mean, like, and that it was, you know, all this disco stuff and it was when disco was dying and it. I'm surprised that it lasted as long as it did just because, you know, it didn't, uh, it was way no, yeah. past well, the expiration date, I guess. Well, I think Dazzler also benefited from having tie-ins with the X-Men and such. So that, mm-hmm. that probably benefited it there. But, um, have you seen the first, I mean, yeah, and not just the X-Men, have you seen like the cover of the first issue? Like it's got like, it's, it's got like everybody on it. Like it's got, I don't know. It's like, Mm-hmm. bunch of x-men and then there's spider-man and iron man and it's like wow and yeah yeah they were trying to promote the heck out of dazzler but uh you, we've got him uh basically doing the whole iron man thing and using his education to build this really technological big rig which you know that's you know that that says something about him that it says that they're trying to set him up you know as more than just a very stereotypical redneck trucker, but they're also they're also making it kind of James Bondy, and I like that he's got smoke screens and oil slicks and stuff like that. It, it's again, it's just fun kind of stuff. Yeah, and it's uh, lots of um. It's about, do... for, for me, it was a bunch of Star Trek sort of techno babble type stuff. Uh, you know. I'm not a mechanic in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, yeah. I think I think I wrote the note that I wrote is um, like that. Um, oh, these these technical terms about engines sound like things I've heard. Or that I have no idea if they make any sense at all. But yeah. I have heard these words before in connection with engines, so at least they're using the right jargon, even if it makes no sense. Yeah, which... that's kind of what I that's kind of what I figured. I thought maybe someone had some mild knowledge of. Uh, engine technology and they're just putting these words in to make it sound like they know what's going on mm-hmm. okay now here's here's something else i, I noticed that's oh uh maybe i'm reading too much into this but there's there's the scene like after he's he's like in the wheelchair and he's talking to the i guess he's police inspector or something and mm-hmm. uh, and and he's talk, talking to him about the accident and they said and the guy's like well we didn't find a body 
first of all, that's that's a big. Uh, I think they're probably going to do something with that. Yeah, and I, I, I don't I don't know what since I haven't read all the way through, but I, I it's just comic books. There's no body. Mm, yeah, same happens. here. Yeah, when the, when you don't find the body, you've got to suspect that something's going on there. And plus, the panel where the uh, inspector's walking away, the, mm-hmm. the look on his face is kind of. Uh, well, not kind of dubious, but kind of uh, uh, he, he looks like he, he looks kind of uh, crafty, kind of like something is going on in his mind. Like this might not be the most reliable person or even pro- mm-hmm. possibly this might actually might not actually be an inspector who's trying to figure out what happened to the uh, body of uh, Jefferson Archer. So, yeah, let's face it, son, you took a you took quite a beating on the head. Uh, you could have been delirious. Imagine the whole thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, that's what happened, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah. And instead of like trying to figure out, like, okay, what you know, like like a uh, an actual detective would do, would be like, you know, okay, obviously, I don't know, maybe not obviously in the Marvel universe, but I mean, obviously this is maybe not exactly what happened that he's telling me, but there's probably something in there. So I, I, I should look into that and, and see what's going on. But instead he's like, you know what? You probably just imagined the entire thing. None of this, none of this happened really, except for <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's pushing credibility, you know, when, when the person who's investigating the murder basically says there was no murder, you got to kind of be yeah. skeptical of yeah. his uh, motivations there. Mm-hmm. And also here's a line that I love. That's right. At, at when he's like, he's like sitting in bed and why though, and is like bringing him and stuff. So is she's like, you know, here you go. Be sure and eat all your green vegetables. Nothing better for a cracked skull than green vegetables. Yeah. I, I made a comment about that too. Uh, yeah. That's, I get they're trying to get the whole uh, southern grandmotherly thing, grandmotherly thing here, but yeah, even for a grandmother, and I had a southern grandmother who equated love with food, and even she wouldn't have been this stupid. I okay. mean, yes, yeah. you cracked her skull open. Oh, here, have some broccoli. That's that's not how it works, Grandma. Sorry. Mm-hmm. And I just uh, here's another thing. I know this is a a larger woman uh, that they're trying to portray in this, and mm-hmm. I know these people are of the earth and sort of southerny and all that, but really wide load. And and it's not like you know when he calls her you know Papa Wheelie calls her Annie every once in a while, mm-hmm. but he still refers to his wide load quite a bit. I mean, yeah, why she doesn't just punch him? I mean, she's got bigger. For us. she's got bigger biceps than he does. You could probably take him out. Yeah, I mean, it, it does seem like you know. It seems like they're you know. I don't know if they're in a relationship or something, but like at least that they've they've worked together for a really long time at the uh-huh. very least. So you would you would think that you know he would. I don't know. No, no better or something. Uh, you would hope, but unfortunately, sometimes that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Although I did notice, though, you were saying like, that, you know, it's kind of the Southern grandmother thing, but um, he actually says after after that, that it's OK. I like it when she mothers me. It's but it's so out of character and funny, like like it's like she hasn't you know, she doesn't usually do this. And that's why is I don't know, 
that's I mean obviously she feels some sort of motherly inclination toward towards him since you know he ra- they raised him and his brother since since they were little yeah probably since the death of their parents yeah but yeah Aunt May she is not apparently well and I guess the the Marvel universe only needs one nagging older woman so that's probably a good thing yeah and actually why though Annie is pretty awesome in in the later parts but we'll i mean uh, we'll get to get to that i guess okay. um i don't know is there anything else you wanted to say about the you know we, we might as well the story a bit about the the highwayman because mm-hmm. he's uh i guess he's going to be the main villain throughout the uh arc of the story and uh yeah they're trying to make him out as a sort of Mephisto-like character. In fact, the panel where he uh, attacks them and you see him up on the on the cliff, he's got these little guys around him that look like little demonic beings. So they're trying to make him out to be, uh, you know, pretty much a uh, well, an otherworldly uh, devilish character. But I guess we'll have to find out more about him later. Mm-hmm. And we already talked about the ending where. Papa Wheelie's standing in the middle of the road, so I think the less we talk about that, the the better it is. But yeah, it was a good setup issue. Uh, it had its goofy moments. It had uh, some art that was a bit wonky, but overall, it looks like it could be the start of something really fun and really out there. So I'm looking forward to seeing what we have next. Mm-hmm. Oh, do you want to do you want to talk about the I don't know the ads or anything? About the... Uh, sure. Yeah, I, I, a lot of now I don't know how old you were or how old you are, mm-hmm. uh, but I was around when these comics were coming out, and I actually mm-hmm. had some comics that had this stuff in here. Uh, on the front page, we've got a Cracker Jack's comic with the yeah. uh, kid shooting basketball, and of course, whenever you uh, sink the basket, you have to be rewarded with a. Uh, sugary caramel coated peanuts and popcorn so mm-hmm. and this is this is not like how i remember basketball stuff in, in high school uh yeah i mean i wasn't terrible at basketball you know mostly because i was somewhat tall but um yeah um when, when you miss a shot that everyone's like you know no, no one is like one more chance scotty you can do it you're a cracker jack nobody <laughs> nobody says that they're like brick Airball. <laughs> There's no, something I agree. Like that. It's not. Yeah, well, uh, these are super, super nice kids. Apparently, well, and, and, and as you notice, they're all just very friendly. Even the other team is incredibly happy that he's trying to make the shot. So there's yeah. that. Uh, then a few pages in, we've got the uh, we've got the ho- or the hodgepodge ad with the Atlas body and you know. Uh, a winged warrior cap. Weird. Yeah, what is that? I'd never seen. It. I guess it's someone trying to make a a flash helmet hat. I don't know. Or yeah, I don't know. That's just a weird looking thing. I mean, like it's kind of cool, but I don't I don't know why people I, would be interested in that. I don't exactly. think anyone aside from really really sad comic fans would want to wear that. So. Uh, chances are I had one when I was a kid, and I'm just blocking it from my memory. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the Marvel Age ad. That's a lot of fun. There's a in the next. It's like with uh, Joan James is like, you wanted the bleep news. You're getting the bleep news. Oh yeah, the one with him and Spidey giving him the 
Little you know, the, the, ears. the yeah. rabbit ears behind him. Yeah, uh, it doesn't. Who's that? A Rob Zane? Zaney? Ron Zalmi? I don't. I don't know. It's hard to. It's it's hard to read. Yeah, it's really stylized art, but yeah. Jay Jonah looks pretty, pretty thick there. I mean, he looks pretty beefy. Yeah, uh, that's that's a neat. Uh, the next page we've got the the Dungeons and Dragons ad because <clears throat> kids needed uh, World of Warcraft back in the eighties, and Dungeons and Dragons basically did that for them. Hey, it's fun. I mean, I I don't know. I still actually I just started recently playing you know that, and it it can be it's a lot of fun. I think, but you know. I play. I played it back in the time. Uh, um, other than that, we get a, a nice, well, pseudo like one-third page pinup of the US one cab and trailer on the uh, on the near the back of the book. So, oh, oh, wait, wait, one thing. Yeah. Okay, so there's there's this, there's a subscription ad here, mm-hmm. and 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 it's a, and there which is it's just really weird by itself because there's like there's a really weird looking kingpin and like bullseye holding a pie for some reason or another. Yeah. I don't know. But then there's like this, this, what looks like some kind of like black guy in a trench coat holding a huge, heavy thing. Did you have any idea who that is? Or does that, I have no idea nothing I, to you. I've yeah. seen, because I've seen, I've have seen this ad a lot and a lot of the comics from this time, but I don't know who he is. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I know that's Kingpin and Bullseye, and I'm wondering if it's another Daredevil villain because. Yeah, that would make the most sense since I, I don't I don't really know that much about Daredevil. As as, uh, so if anyone has an idea who what this villain is, yeah, write in. We'd love to love to know. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that that about does it for. Oh well, I guess the back outside cover for me got the uh, Star Wars Jedi Arena video game cartridge for the Atari 2600. Which mm. was perhaps one of the most wretched Star Wars games ever made. It looks like it looks like Jedi Pong kind of. It's not even that good. Oh my! It's Yikes. it's basically. I think you use and you don't use the joystick controller. You use the the steerer, the spinning controller, and you move that to swing your lightsaber back and forth and try and block the electric bolts from the little thing. It was a it wasn't a fun game. You know, I, I don't know if I actually had it or if, like, uh, a friend of mine had it. But, yeah, it was not fun at all. Mm-hmm. But uh, if uh, that's all, uh, I think that's uh, all I've got to say. You good with the issue? Uh, yeah, I think I'm, uh, if, if anybody's interested, there is a there is a interview in the bullpen bulletins with uh, the infamous Vince Coletta. Should <laughs> any of you be interested in reading that? find and out a, how he destroyed you know 50 percent of uh, jack kirby's work so yep go. and apparently and apparently uh coming out this month uh chris star number one which oh. we were just talking about i have no idea what that is apparently vince coletta is inking it oh for well, brett blevins it should be should be wonderful then i'm, I'm sure but that's gonna do it for issue number one we're gonna take a little break put a promo in here and when we come back jay is going to bring you uh the epic coverage of issue number two of us one december 7th earth 2 1941 a world very much like our own yet slightly different a date which will live in infamy a world at war 
the United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. Following the Japanese sneak attack on Pearl Harbor, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt brought together the largest group of mystery men ever assembled to battle the Axis powers. Tales of the Justice Society of America presents The All-Star Squadron. The Tales of the Justice Society of America, every Friday at twotruefreaks.libson.com. And we're back. Um, so here we have uh, issue two of US-1, which, ha- uh, again, is written, brought to us by Al Milgram and Herb Trimpey with, uh, it's hard to tell from these credits because they're these, those credits where they just tell you everybody who worked on it instead of actually saying what they did, but uh, appears to be inked by Mike Esposito and somebody, Morelli, I don't know who that is, colored by Christy Scheel, uh, edited by Ralph Macchio, and uh, editor-in-chief uh, Jim Shooter. And so we begin our story at the shortstop, where a semi pulls up, carrying an ugly dude dressed in a turtleneck and a beanie with a nuke U button on it. I I don't know what that means. The man says that he's the baddest trucker there ever was, and the staff and patrons decide to show him the error of his ways by breaking into a huge bar fight. And during this bar fight, we get to see the first shot of Miss uh, Mary McGrill, the waitress at the shortstop, and uh, one of the love interests in this story. And uh, she beats the rude patron over the head with her frying pan, which seems to have no effect. It's kind of scary. Um, and we cut to outside where our hero, U.S. Archer, pulls up in his kick-ass robot truck and... <laughs> Um, heads to the truck stop. He sees a man flying out the window and thinks, oh no, not again, as if this is pretty much just Tuesday at the shortstop. As he goes in, he is watched by a shadowy figure. Ooh, scary. Um, he sees he sees Wide Load Annie and the Rude Man, the only people that are still standing. Annie tells U.S. to watch out for the guy because he's tough, which she proves by hitting him over the head with a wrench, which again has no effect. Hearing Annie use U.S.'s name when she warns him, the man says that she told him that U.S. would be here and that he's tough, too. The man is curious how tough. Puzzling over who she might be, U.S. dodges a punch and returns one of his own. The man's jaw nearly breaking his hand. He tries to reason with the man, but is unsuccessful and decides he has to keep fighting. He lands a few blows that are as useless as his first, and then he gets decked by the guy falling into some chairs. U.S. picks up a chair and breaks it over the man's head, 
still with no effect. He tries to soften up the goon with some body blows, only to get his fist grabbed by the man. It's then that U.S. realizes that he needs to use his head, moving it into the path of the man's fist. The man lets go because he hurt his hand on U.S.'s steel skull, and then U.S. headbutts him with the skull in the gut and then in the throat, and the man drops like a sack of potatoes. The other patrons congratulate U.S. on his victory. The beaten man stumbles out, running into the she of which he spoke, the villainous Midnight. She wears something akin to bright purple motorcycle gear and wields a hypno-whip, which she used to control the man to get info on U.S. He tells her what he knows, and she tells him to forget he ever met her and go, which he does. She changes out of her costume, but we can't see who's behind the mask. U.S. wonders where Mary is, and when she emerges from the bathroom after fixing her hair, she's flattered to hear that he missed her. And we see Taryn O'Connell, a trucker who looks a bit like Daisy Duke with red hair and long pants. And apparently her uh, her nickname is Taryn Down the Highway, which is... is uh, Definitely much better than Papa Wheelie, though it's still kind of stupid. Um, she greets Papa and Mary with big smacks to the back that cause Papa to spit a cigar and Mary to drop a tray. She tried she chides Mary for only being a waitress, but says she understands because it keeps Mary close to US. Taryn greets him with a big sloppy kiss. He tells her to stop or people will get the wrong idea about them. Sorry. <laughs> and she's and, and she says that he's the only one with the wrong idea. I don't know exactly what that means, but we'll see. Um, she says she came down from business and she gets really serious, telling everyone she's the best and she won't let anybody stop her. Mary tells her to lighten up and she basically calls Taryn a bitch. Taryn <laughs> says Mary is just jealous because U.S. doesn't pay attention to Mary when Taryn's around. As they're about to start fighting, U.S. tells him that he's got work to do and that if they're going to fight over him, wait till he can stick around to enjoy it. With that, he leaves, picking up a stick of gum on his way out. This is important. Um, Midnight follows him on her motorcycle, and he has a short origin flashback when suddenly he feels an intense pain from his seamy skull. It's midnight, and each crack of her whip causes her, uh, sorry, causes him intense pain. And he tries to stop her with an oil slick. She jumps over it. He throws down spikes, which she avoids by hopping onto and riding a guardrail. She pulls ahead and he sprays her with gas, causing her to move out of the way, but she finally gains control of him with her hypno whip. Now that he is under her control, she admits that she is working for the highwayman, gives him a kiss, and asks if he has any last requests. He asks for a stick of gum. Then she makes him drive towards a rock wall. Just as he is about to crash, he tells her, nah, and swerves to avoid the wall, causing her to lose control of her bike and crash. She can't understand why she failed, but leaves, vowing revenge. We find out that U.S. used the gum wrapper to touch all of his feelings, overloading his mind and crowding out her frequency. He wonders if he can parlay this into a commercial endorsement for gum as he rides off into the sunset.
saved by Chuli's gum. That's yeah. that's the that's the end of this story. Yeah. Okay. Well, if you don't mind, I'll go ahead and hit uh, hit the story with my notes, and we can go like that. Um, the cover this time I found out is by uh, Bilson Kevitz, and mm-hmm. he draws some really nice but really trippy cl- covers. Uh, you've got Midnight standing here on the cover with the Hypno Whip. <laughs> which is just the most bizarre weapon I think I've seen in any time. Because the whip has a bunch of... It looks like it was just ripped out of uh, you know, a, a truck. It looks like mm-hmm. it's something from the undercarriage of a, of a tractor rig. And I guess that's you know, supposed to tie in with the story, but it's a really weird design. And the colors and the sort of uh, circles and spirals around the sort of wide-eyed... Uh, look of us really give this idea that she's got him mesmerized it's a it's a nice very dynamic cover i like it mm-hmm. other thing I, re- I mean i don't know if you didn't mention that but um the i like that there's a, a us one sign that is symbolically bent on the in the corner of the cover that's mm-hmm. just like right. <laughs> yeah kind of symbolizing that oh well, us one might not be making it out of here um pages two and three you get your uh, stereotypical Hal Needham-style bar, bar brawl. I mean, just everyone, for no reason whatsoever, is going at it. And I think you get the most puns mm-hmm. that you ever have gotten in an entire comic book here on, like, these two pages. You know, you mm-hmm. get, you get uh, Wide Load Annie saying, Play nice now, boys, and remember, management of the shortstop will not be responsible for will not be responsible for personal property as she flings a dish at one of the guys and then says, oops, hit the wrong guy. And you've got uh, what Papa Wheelie saying, darn, I just washed that wall last year as someone, oh, where's that cup coming from? It looks like someone, yeah, I don't know. So it looks like someone punched someone in the groin and they had a cup on their groin and the groin flew into the wall. It's... Yeah. And, and I think it's actually supposed to be a bottle of ketchup because later, uh, Annie tells him like, you know, you need to go back in and wash the ketchup off the wall. So I'm assuming it's supposed to be a bottle of ketchup, but mm-hmm. it doesn't look like it other than it's kind of reddish. Yeah. And then of course you've got the one female driver in here saying, well, when the drivers in Dallas told me it was a quiet place to eat, they sure were right. At least compared to Dallas. Ooh, <laughs> sick burn, Dallas. Suck it. There you go. Yeah. Oh, and the and there's the guy uh, running into a ladies' room. So my mama raised me to be a lover, not a fighter. <laughs> That's uh, great. Just yeah, it's it's chock full of ridiculousness, and the art's pretty good. The, the like I said, what I'm noticing a lot is a lot of uh, Marvel character faces on here, especially like in the lower left hand corner of page two here. That's a very Marvel style face. I don't know who it reminds me of, but uh, it's 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 pretty good artwork around from Trim. It's kind of a it's kind of like a Ditko face, and he's got kind of like a kind of like a Kirby hand sort of. I oh think. yeah, he's got the very spread fingers and the very large hand. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Um, the ref the rest of the pages are pretty much just. The stereotypical fighty McFightenstein that I like to attribute to Mr. Andy Leyland and U.S. figuring out that this guy can't get punched in the head. Now, I'm wondering if this guy ever makes uh, an appearance in the book again because 
essentially he was just there to be a foil for us and eventually to find out uh information for midnight but i wonder if he ever comes back in the series to uh to mess with us anywhere because you, when us is fighting him he's you're getting the idea that he might have something augmented in his head because when yeah. he punches him he gets the whole ow i broke my you know it's, it's more than just simple hard-headedness it it seems like there might be something there augmenting it like like the sort of steel plate that us has in his head Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, cool. I don't know. I have so far, so I'm only like I said, I'm only read up to issue five, and I have not seen him again yet. But that doesn't mean that he doesn't appear at some later time. I don't yeah. know. Um, I'm glad that uh, US aimed a bit high with his headbutt to the guy's midsection because I don't think I would have liked it if he would have aimed lower. That that would have made me feel. Very uncomfortable on that page. Yeah, that would really hurt. Now, I, I guess, I guess you know, if he did ram into his groin with uh, his uh, steel-plated head, uh, that would probably end the fight right then and there. But I don't know if the comics code would allow something like that. Well, yeah, I mean, because I mean, unless unless he has metal-plated bones too, I mean, like, not only would you know, I mean, obviously, it would really hurt because you crushed his trunk, but also like that. <laughs> probably would like shatter his pelvis and that would be i mean like the dude would not be able to walk and talk to midnight because he would be unable to stand yeah which would be really bad (laughs) and getting to getting that page uh midnight uh yeah that's a that's a very dynamic a very sort of and she's got the uh i want to say this like the spider woman uh sort of mask on i mean just with a big triangular shape over a mask it's not really covering anything up mm-hmm. so it's, it's like a it's like a do, it's like a domino mask but it's like really open yeah so it's i don't know what she's trying to hide i've got to assume that there might be a wig involved because like i said i haven't read ahead either on this so i don't know who midnight in the end of the book is but I've got this feeling that we may have already seen her uh, somewhere in this book, or we may already may see her soon in this book, mm-hmm. because she's right outside the truck stop, and you know after she tells the the lunkhead to go, she decides to take her clothes off for some reason and change into something. So, mm-hmm. and it it also gets kind of you know my conspiracy theory uh, you know warning goes off when. Uh, what's her name? Mary, the mm-hmm. blonde-haired girl, comes back in and says, "Oh, I was just, I was just out there, and my hair was all mussed, so I stepped out to fix it." And that kind of leads me to believe that she may be leading this double life. Now, I'm not certain, but you've got the mm-hmm. sort of setup uh, that's very stereotypical Marvel again. That this might be the uh, protagonist playing you know the uh, girlfriend of uh, our main character so mm-hmm. and, and but then also you do, do notice that like you know right after that also Taryn comes in so it's certainly possible it's it, it's cert- you're certainly led to believe it's either one of them yes and and Taryn is just such a dirty dirty girl oh my god <laughs> just in with the uh, obviously she's got her cut off tied up shirt and the 
the brown leather jacket with the frills on the bottom, and she's slapping guys around and planting a. She's a dirty, dirty ginger. Oh my. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you know she would be wearing the Daisy Dukes, but they're like. I think they just probably were like, um, you know, she actually is a trucker, so we're gonna actually have her wear pants because it, it, it maybe strains uh, credibility a little bit too much. Yeah, well, and the one thing that this book doesn't want to do is go beyond the bounds of credibility. <laughs> yeah. Um, Wait, I want to say, and then, and then uh, um, when when then she kisses us, and it makes makes the sound smurp, and I was like, I don't know. I, I may not have as much kissing experience as I would like to have, but I have never experienced a kiss that made that noise, and I'm not sure what exactly she's doing to make uh, that noise. I think she's just implanted him with some alien eggs, I would think. Yeah, I know. It's what it's, <laughs> it's, what, it's, what it's like. That's you know, not – Twelve not hours like later, something's going to burst out of his chest. So, yeah, that's pretty <laughs> Oh, boy. Next issue is going to be really short. Yeah. Um, <laughs> The fact that uh, U.S. breaks up the uh, cat fight that I'm certain all of us were hoping to see is just kind of disappointing. And then in the next panel, he gives that look like uh, it's it's either the thumbs up again or it looks like he's going to give them the back of his hand. So I can't really tell which is which. I'm hoping it's the thumbs up, but I could be wrong. And then, of course, we yeah, can... he doesn't seem to be any. He doesn't seem to be angry or anything. He's just yeah. like you know, <laughs> yeah, you know, girls. If you you want to fight, uh, you can come out and do it in front of the truck. I'll be inside the cab. <laughs> My bottle of lotion. Uh, yeah, um, <laughs> the sticko gum, mm-hmm. uh, very important in the later part of the issue. And then, of course, the next panel. This is where I get the the whole Jonathan Winners vibe. With um, uh, wide low nanny, uh, that that looks like Jonathan Winters in drag is his old <laughs> female character. So mm-hmm. maybe they took a bit of uh, artistic license with that. But yeah, um, yeah. And I think I, on the page before that, when when Taryn's like going to like, you know, ever since I was a little girl, I've been proving that I could do a job as well as anyone, as well as any man. No one could beat me once I set my mind on doing something. No one. And and that how is... the pages are just focusing more and more in on her eye, making yeah, it look it's like... so creepy. It's and so it's, creepy. It's it's very good use of the paneling uh, mm-hmm. to use that to to sort of do a cinematic zoom in on the character, and it mm-hmm. gives her not only this sort of menacing feel, but it possibly you know fixes the reader's mind on this character might be the midnight character mm-hmm. you know again we don't really know and uh, we probably won't find out for a good you know a good you know five ten issues but yeah this is this is uh it's, it's good panel work here mm-hmm. uh and that face she makes is so, i mean like it's funny because like in the panel before it she's like and he's got this happy face and then like it switches and like her face looks completely different and it is like i am going to murder you and it's really <laughs> upsetting to look at I'm like ew, ew. Yuck. <laughs> well and then of course you know we and we also had the have another trope of the 70s uh not only the uh well i guess more of the 60s uh the sort of bike bicycle uh motorcycle gang type stuff with uh, Midnight riding her motorcycle with her hypno whip. 
Mm-hmm. And you know when I say whatever I say, the hypno whip. I'm going to have to eventually insert something with the uh, mm-hmm. hypnotoad sound yes. in there. Because if you have something that's hypno, you are legally too. required to do so. Yes. But uh, she's riding her cycle uh, behind US 1 in this truck. And it, aside from her hypnotizing him, it doesn't seem like it'd be that much of a match. I mean, he's got. A huge, you know, I don't know how many ton tractor trailer truck against, you know, a motorcycle. Just swerve into her and she's street putty. I, I, I don't, that's that's one of the things that sort of stretches credibility. Yeah, but I, 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 think, I think maybe it is kind of the thing where, sexist or not, um, it is, you know, where, where they, you, you have the spot where there, there's, you know, there's a... Uh, relationship somewhat between the male hero and the female villain and like or or just in general like the kind of idea that oh you don't want to hit a girl and that kind of thing like in in the in the sense that maybe um in in the in the way that then he's he could beat her really easily just like yeah just like run her over or something but that's just not the kind that's not how he was raised that's not how that's not how you treat a lady and, you know, whatever, that kind of thing. I, yeah, well, I, I never, think that may be part of it. I mean, Yeah, I didn't really take that into account because I was thinking, you know, I'm getting you know, attacked by this person. Lady or not, I'm going to stop them attacking. So it, it makes sense that maybe his morals and maybe his uh, upbringing made him decide not to really go after her as uh, heavily as probably I would have. Well, and also, and also, I think there's a level, at least a level of attraction as well. Like, I think in, in the at the near the end, he he says, like, uh, yeah, I, I don't fight with the hired help, especially when they kiss as good as you do, <laughs> <laughs> which is interesting. I I do enjoy the fact that the gum calls into play, and it's the aluminum and the gum or in the gum wrapper that causes the uh, CB signals to overwhelm his uh, CB receiving skull and destroys the uh, hypno whip. Well, it doesn't destroy the hypno whip, but it takes him away from the, I guess... It, blo- it blocks it, out the signal. Like yeah, it, blocks, it, yeah it, exactly. Yeah. So... so there, okay, I gotta say something I was gonna say before, but I forgot. Um, so... And we were talking about we we're talking about how silly the the CB skull power is, but um, also if you noticed in the first issue, um, there's the CB receiver in the truck. <laughs> so, um, at what point does this actually become useful? Because it actually, even seems like in this, like I mean, I'm not even sure. I, mean, I guess it, it was working on the other guy, though. I guess we don't know if he has something too, but. Um, it, it seems almost like it might even be actually a liability. Like, like he is being controlled because he has this thing in his head. I don't know. I mean, like, I'm not sure if that's something, but I'm supposed to read into it or not. But yeah, it does. It does seem kind of uh, like you said, a liability that it might not be as beneficial to him as he thought at the beginning. Uh, and also, it being essentially a receiver, mm-hmm. that's kind of. 
that's nice, but uh, with CB radio, the entire idea is it's a communications device and you want to communicate with him. And so far, we haven't seen any way that he's been able to transmit from this. So it you are kind of on point there why, where this might be something that's going to cause him problems because he's going to be picking up all these radio transmissions and people can, you know, once they know that he has this metal plane in his head that does this, can use that to manipulate him. So since he also needs the CB in his cab, that yeah calls into question why he needs the CB receiver in his brain. Other than that, you know, I really don't have any notes. The fact that the, uh, the villain is foiled by chewing gum is, is just, uh, it's it's weirdly zany but again like i said before it's fun and and i'm all about my comics being fun so this is really enjoyable stuff anything you got on the uh, end of that no i think i think that's you got you got pretty much everything oh there is okay i guess one thing is um i do love in the what when he drops the the uh, spikes on the road they're razor edge bio- biodegradable star spines. They'll flatten her tires, but decompose before anyone else is liable to happen along. <laughs> like that is very considerate. Well, um, yeah, very considerate, but also very unlikely. Anything yeah. that's metal that's going to decompose in the amount of time, it, uh, unless this is just like the loneliest traveled highway ever and only like one person comes down in a day, those things are going to have to decompose pretty fast. And if right. they decompose that quickly, how effectively are they? But, you know, I, I'm not a metallurgist, so I couldn't really say. But yeah, yeah. this was another fun if sort of goofy issue but i'm thinking that's what we're going to get throughout this entire series mm-hmm. but uh we'll go ahead and take a look at the ads this time out uh um and television has one at the beginning it was basically a sort of pac-man type game called lock and chase uh, i could never get into the television because i couldn't do the the whole circular controller on there i was a joystick man so i had to use the atari 2600 my friends yeah, had i don't know i've never yeah i've never seen it. i don't know what the the what, what's the controller like it's it's if you if you can imagine a sort of flattened cellular phone mm-hmm. if you can imagine like uh, an analog um why i try to think like motorola razor that's kind of what the uh uh, in television controller has and mm-hmm. on the bottom of the nu- there's a number pad up top and then on the bottom of the number pad there's this little circular disc and you use the disc to as a joystick and you can sort of rotate your finger around it it's mm-hmm. it's kind of like a a wheel for an ipad mm-hmm. that's kind of the best thing i can or an i or yeah an ipod that's kind of the best thing I can relate it to, and it was. So really- what you're saying is that Steve Jobs has been ripping off uh, Teleelectronics all this time. This is what you're saying. Uh, essentially, yes. I and, and he okay. can't sue me because he's dead now. That is true. Well, yeah, he is. Okay. Um, <laughs> we've got the bubble yum ad, uh, which. Yeah, I was in the last one, and I was not. I, I was not intrigued by that at all in the first place. No, the little kid who just sits there chewing gum, creeping out the guy until he decides to chew it as well. Yeah, I'm not into that. 
uh, well, they've got a lot of they've got the uh, a one for uh, with Nick Fury, either Nick Fury or that might even be Reed Richards with an eye patch. I can't tell. They look so familiar. Uh, about comic book conventions, one in Boston with uh, uh, John Byrne going to be there. John Romita Jr. This was all in uh, 1983, of course. Uh, mm-hmm. One in Oakland, California. One in Los Angeles. Uh, Chicago. Oh, Billy Mooney and Walter Koenig are going to be there. Ooh. Oh, boy. But uh, two stars uh, that will eventually end up in uh, Babylon 5. So that's yep. kind of neat. Uh, and one in Philadelphia. Oh, right. I forgot about Walter Koenig being in that. Yeah, yeah he was the, uh, what, the psionic? The, yeah, the, the the leader of the what the I don't yeah. know Psychor or whatever they were called. Yes, yeah. Oh, and we have we have everyone's favorite uh, uh, pyramid scheme, grit. Yes, grit. Uh, what what person fell into that and wasn't sorely disappointed with it? Uh, hodgepodge page is pretty much everything that you'd expect on a hodgepodge page. Ooh, I like though. There's a thing that's uh, there's there's a the badge of the future, conservation. Learn at home in your spare time how to be, I guess, uh, a forest ranger apparently, or yeah, send for a free conservation career kit. Sounds, I, I don't know. I, I don't think I've ever seen that before. That's uh, Al Gore had to get his start somewhere. So there you go. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to offend the the former vice president he's he's a good person i i heard yes um hey at least he's not dan quayle that's true well we can all be thankful for that or dick uh, cheney oh uh, well dick cheney's evil uh yeah, next uh next one we've got the same ad with the mysterious black person holding up the uh large heavy metallic you know 12 issues hot off the presses offer thing I still don't know who that is. You know, uh, it's obviously Bullseye and Kingpin, but no idea who that is. I wonder if it's like a, or if he, maybe he's like one of those like, like Luke Cage villains or something. Like, what's, I forget be. their name. There's like the like there's all these like black gang leaders and stuff that are like have superpowers and stuff. At least in the early issues, I remember vaguely, but I don't remember what they're. I don't know. And there's ooh, join the Galactic Legions. Mm-hmm. Some sort of some sort of uh, apparently uh, sci-fi RPG by yeah, it's, TSR. It's Star Frontiers. It's essentially uh, it's essentially Dungeons and Dragons with a sci-fi feel. Uh, it's the same sort of uh, role-playing type game. I think it uses the same not semantics, but the same type of role-playing. The same dice, hit dice, and all this. Just different types of characters. Instead of elves and orcs, you've got... Uh, oh, I know you had a sort of insectoid race. And you had uh, a giant kind of Wookiee-like race, I think, as well. Plus, on the on the image, you've got this sort of weird flying squirrel bat type thing. I don't know. It kind of, it kind of looks like like a, I don't know like a space hobbit or something. Like, Might be. Like yeah. yeah, coming from TSR, that that's not surprising. Oh, I'm sorry, hobbit. space halfling. <laughs> yes, because hobbit to... is copyrighted. Yes, we can't use that. Uh, after the bullpen bulletins page, we've got an ad for Fantastic Four uh, bubblegum. You know, mm-hmm. that's some that's some pretty good artwork. I don't know who did the artwork here. It doesn't say, but it's good looking. Uh, uh, Reed Richard looks pretty good. Sue looks okay. Ben's a bit off. 
Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It looks like it might be, I don't know. Like it's harder, harder for me to judge these kind of things, but I don't know, maybe like John Byrne or Rich Buckler or something. I don't know. Yeah, it might be Buckler. I don't know if it's Byrne. Yeah, no, there's not enough lines, I think, for it to be Byrne. No. There's, that's true. Yeah. But, uh, I don't remember, you know, I, I vaguely remember Fantastic Four gum and I guess it comes in four, four flavors. So Mm. there you go. Deliciousness. And the back inside cover, you got an uh, advertisement for the Tron video games from the M Network. And uh, I don't remember these being all that good. I think Deadly Disc was kind of fun, but Adventures of Tron, I don't really recall. I, I love the arcade game, the the old mm-hmm. Tron arcade game. Uh, when I went up to D- Disney, they had that in the... Uh, They've got this place in downtown Disney where mm-hmm. you can basically go in and play all these classic card game games for free and uh, just play them over and over again. And I went and found the Tron game and played that for a while. Yeah. That was fun. And uh, back outside cover, we've got Tutankhamun, which is another... Well, no, actually, no. It's Tutankham, apparently, which I don't oh. know what that is about. Yeah, Tukon- is... yeah that's Tut- true. It's not Tutankham. It's Tutankham. Tutankham. Yeah, trying to pronounce it. So I guess you know they didn't want to get sued by the people or mm, probably 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 more like they just wanted to be able to copyright the name. I think makes sense. And I, if I remember, this is sort of a it looks sort of like a Pac-Man clone. And mm-hmm. This is also a port of an arcade game, if I recall. Mm-hmm. And it's for the twenty six hundred. So you yeah. gotta imagine. This is for the Atari and Sears video game systems. I didn't know Sears had one of those. I think the Sears was essentially a repurposed 2600, but it was sold exclusively by Sears, so it played the same sort of games. Now, it could be... I know at the time they had a couple of different systems, and uh, maybe Sears had the Odyssey system. Now, I may be thinking incorrectly, but I think Sears had a system called the Odyssey, which might have played Atari 2600 games, mm. but that could be just my faulty memory. Yeah. And plus, this has been, what, you know, 30 years ago, so. Yeah. But uh, that does it for the issues. Uh, Wait, I, I would say, actually, one thing, I was going to say the bull, bullpen bulletins, they have, um, it, it is, uh, there's a fun little thing there that's got the, apparently drawn by a, uh, Drawn by Mike Carlin, I think it said. I don't know. Yeah. It's a, but it's got like a little uh, an invitation to the Christmas party with Santa with a Santa Claus joke that has um, Santa popping Wolverine claws, which ah, is which is which, is which is which uh, is maybe what the, I don't think it was really that that funny even then. But it is actually a very sad bullpen bulletins because or whatever because they're the double sized last issues of Marvel Two and One Spider Woman. Um, uh, Ghost Rider and oh, what's the other one? There was another one too. I thought. Um, bah, 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 bah. Oh, oh, and Master of Kung Fu. All of those titles apparently ended this this month, which is oh. which I don't know. I'm not a. I, I haven't read much uh, Master of Kung Fu or uh, or uh, the um or or actually I've ever read some Ghost Rider, but yeah. I really like Marvel 2 and 1 and Spider-Woman. They're pretty, pretty fun books. But. 
Well, eventually I'll get to covering those. Why not? But uh, I believe this will do it for these issues. Uh, Jay, thank you for coming on to do this, and uh, I will definitely have you back on uh, here when we uh, cover the next two issues, because, well, essentially you're going to be my co-host throughout this. Oh boy, exciting. So, Oh, those poor, poor listeners. Those poor listeners. <laughs> They're going to love it. Uh, thanks, everyone, for taking a listen, and we hope you enjoyed it. And catch us next time for another episode of Just One of Them, Their Guys, a US1 podcast. You've been listening to Just One of Them, Their Guys, a US1 podcast, hosted by Sean Engel and Jay Ferguson. All images, stories, and music are copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast is done solely to show everyone how cool it is to sit for long periods of time in the cab of an 18-wheeler while listening to an ever-changing radio station and popping no-dos like M&M's. All feedback to the show can be sent to the sister side of the show at justoneoftheguyspodcast at gmail.com. You can also reach me on Citizens Band Radio Channel 19 if you're traveling from the great state of Oklahoma. Just give a shout-out for wide-load Shawnee, and I'll chat the night away with you. However, you still won't find me on Facebook. Sorry, folks. But that's it for this time. Come back again next time for another episode of Just One of Them, Their Guys, a US-1 podcast. So you got to dodge him, you got to duck him You gotta keep that diesel truckin' Just put that hammer down and give it hell Westbound and down, 18 wheels rollin' We gonna do what they say can't be done We've got a long way to go And a short time to get there I'm westbound, just watch old bandit run Oh, and by the way, everyone, happy April 1st. Hope you had a good one.